Warning, we are about to spoil Die Hard 1 and Die Hard 2 Die Harder. If you haven't seen these movies and you plan on watching them, leave now and come back later. If you have seen them, or you just don't care, then please stick around. You know, it's really weird. I, I put in the DVD for Die Hard 1 when we watched it, and then I swear I put in the DVD for Die Hard 2 when we watched it, but it ended up just being the first movie all over again. It was really weird, and I was like, oh, okay, let's just watch that. So, I don't know what happened there. Oh, that's weird, because I put in Die Hard 2, and I, I'm pretty sure I got the right movie, but all I could wonder is, what is the deal with airline food? everybody and welcome to cinema roulette welcome back after our nice break in january we are here in february um at assuming least... the world has not ended in january yes. or late december of 2021 at the very least you guys are hearing us in february we're actually still in the december so we don't know we don't. So you may be hearing this in February or it's years in the future and you found Cameron's laptop and are listening to the audio files. I'm sorry. Well, realistically, it'd be my computer because I don't trust my laptop to work after 50 years. But, <laughs> you know, didn't I just say computer or I say laptop? You specifically said my laptop. Nah, fuck. It's fine, though. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Or maybe you're listening on one of his hard drives. I don't know what Who you knows? do in the future. Yeah. The world ended. I'm dead. <laughs> Whoops. Oopsies. <laughs> and you're stuck in Ohio, apparently. Yeah. Sucks. <laughs> First off, I'm sorry. Uh <laughs> but yeah, so if you want, you can release this posthumously. I don't care. I mean, we, we're dead. We don't care. Fucking <laughs> I don't even know if the internet's still around. Yeah, I guess so. share it on a mixtape. There is share it on a mixtape. Yep, we're going back to the nineties. Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, we are with the nineties action movie Die Hard Two, but also talking about the first one, which was made in nineteen eighty eight. So uh, the reason we did this double episode is because we feel like we're not going to have a lot to say on the first one. So. <laughs> uh, we Wait, do we do this little conversation before or after the title sequence, you know, like it is now? Bruce Willis, Die Hard 2. Die Harder. Okay, uh, I don't know what just happened, but there you go. That, that was a good quiet moment. It was, it was good silence. Um... <laughs> But yeah, we're doing... The, okay. It's not that we don't have much to say on Die Hard 1. But... Just... Th this is a classic movie. And everyone has already talked about it. I'm sure you've seen it. If you have... If you're into movies enough to listen to a movie podcast, you have probably seen the first Die Hard. Yeah. I would say odds are there's like a 95% chance you've seen Die Hard already. <laughs> If you haven't seen the first Die Hard, watch the first Die Hard. It's a good movie. It's a very solid action movie. And surprisingly, is from the 80s and doesn't have homophobia or racism. Which is really nice. Like, there is a slight low-key where, you know, the black character listens to rap, but, you know, it's not. Well, that's just white writers. It's not, yeah. uh, it's not like he says, this is the only music I listen to, dog. Yeah. Th thankfully, they shy away from that, so... 
Um, yeah, the first film was released in, um, I think, like I said, I think it was 1988. Let me double check. Uh, eight. Yep, I was right. Cool. <laughs> Sorry, I need to yawn. You're good. But. <sighs> yeah, we rewatched it just to be sure that there wasn't anything extra we'd like to talk about. Um, one thing I didn't. Okay, hold on. Should I do a quick plot synopsis of the first movie? Sure. <laughs> Again, you should have seen it, so I'm going to be very quick. John McClane, New York cop, goes to L.A. because his his wife, now ex-wife, moved there. Well, I don't know if they're actually divorced. I don't think they are, technically. I Yeah, they're not technically divorced. It's just she's... There's... She's been over in L.A. for like six months while McClane's been stuck in uh, New York. Yeah, and there's very there was very clearly like a rift between them because they don't really talk, and when they do talk, they kind of like eh, like argue. And when he goes in, he's she's using her maiden name instead of their married name. Yeah, but McLean was invited by mistake to her business party at Nakatomi Plaza, and turns out, oh no, terrorists, German terrorists, come in <laughs> to try and steal money from the vault within the place. Well, not money, bonds. I think it's like six million. Six hundred million, I think, specifically. Six hundred million, in right. In bonds, yep. Oh, right, because of the game. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> We're not going to explain that. <laughs> I won't. Uh, we'll explain on the final spin. Yep. Uh, of the series wheel. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep, they are... They're holding everyone hostage. However, they didn't see McLean. McLean go, goes around, shoots up terrorists, kills them, makes sure things... The police get contacted. Police come. They basically fuck things up. McLean has to solve everything. Terrorists almost get away, but they don't. McLean shoots the, shoots all the terrorists, kills the final terrorist, and then gets back with his wife. They punch a reporter in the face who put their children in danger, and uh, Led Snow plays as they drive off into the distance. The end. Yep. So. <clears throat> And we say a lot of the times, you know, um, I don't know if we've ever like actually said this on the podcast, but it's like, you know, a lot of classic films, quote unquote, there are a lot of classics that by nowadays standards are just fine. Like there's a lot that really haven't aged well or have been done better since then. But Die Hard is absolutely one of those classics that deserves its classic status. Yeah, honestly, the pacing and tension still work really well, even on rewatches. Yes, even when you know what's going to happen, it's still really fucking good. <laughs> the action's very explosive. That they, they pay attention to realism enough to not feel too over the top like a lot of uh, 80s action flicks of the time. Yep. It was one of the first very much down-to-earth action heroes, even though uh, Bruce Willis is buff. He's still... He's still an everyman. He doesn't just charge in and is like, I'm going to kill all the terrorists. The first time he sees him, he goes, oh, fuck. Yeah, That's he's a machine gun. He's basically, oh, fuck. And then the first thing he does is call the police. <laughs> Not ordering a fucking pizza. That is one of my favorite fucking lines when he's on the roof. Yeah, he tries to, he gets like directly to the police line. He's like, sir, this line isn't for, is for police use only. Yeah, no fucking shit, lady. I sound like I'm ordering a fucking pizza. <laughs> yeah, the humor works so fucking it good in this movie. It does. The one-liners in the script is fantastic. Um, but yeah, like Justin said, it, it is, it was just, 
Bruce Willis, um, his portrayal and how he's written is very much an everyman. And on Wikipedia, it says, you know, it revitalized the action genre, largely due to its depiction of McClane as a vulnerable and fallible protagonist. In contrast to the muscle-bound and invincible heroes of other films of the period, you know, you watch Commando, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is just taking out an entire army by himself, just running around, just gunning him down. No, like, he gets beat the fuck up in this movie, which is one of my favorite things about it. <laughs> yeah, um... Actually, spoiler for the book, the whole uh, gang glass in his feet thing is what kills the hero in the original book. Yeah, he bleeds out straight up. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun. It's actually very depressing, that ending. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm glad they changed that. Uh... <laughs> um, Something I did like that I forgot about on rewatch is they don't have McLean and his wife bicker right away. Mm -hmm. They actually do have a very sweet moment with each other to show that there is still chemistry there. However, things have become strained. Yeah, because it would have been very easy to just come, he comes in the office and they immediately start bitching at each other. But no, like there is a sweet moment and then then the tension arises. <laughs> the, the bickering starts. Yep. <laughs> Which is just, it's nice. Yep. <laughs> um. Also, this movie is impressive from the standpoint that uh, the original script was being rewritten as they shot. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, I think, basically the the rewriter was writing two weeks ahead of what their schedule was. Wow. So he was right. Like, they were getting new pages sometimes on the day. Jesus. So. Yeah, and whenever that happens in production, usually, like, it's not a good sign. But no, here it actually worked because they probably realized during filming, oh, yeah, this is probably not going to work. Uh, Except for the one gaping plot hole that they hoped you just <laughs> wouldn't notice. Do you want to explain that? Yes, I will. Um, the terrorists get in. Well, two of them go through the front door and the rest of them come down in a uh, in a big truck at... So two go in front. When they're closing everything down, they open the back of the truck and all the dudes are in the back there and come out. Yeah, there's like 12 of them or so. And they're very clearly like all in there, like, you know, packed in. Yep. That's the only thing in the truck. Yep. So their escape plan for uh, the whole setup is that they called for a helicopter to take them and the hostages to an airport. So that way they can get away. They can apparently get away scot-free, but they were just going to blow up the helipad. So that way everyone seen seems to be dead including them and they would escape in an ambulance that was in the back of the truck <laughs> that you didn't see there and couldn't have possibly fit because yeah when the ambulance does come out of the truck like it very clearly took up the entirety of the truck yeah like oh they could have sat in the ambulance no not with that many guys not with that many guys yeah no they were very clearly packed in there and didn't you say they noticed it but then we were like Eh, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, they literally noticed it because uh, they were like, well, shit, how did the people get out of there? And then they thought of the, while doing the rewrites, they thought of the uh, ambulance. However, they already shot the entrance scene. And as they, <laughs> after they shot it, they went, or in the editing booth, they were like, oh, wait a minute. People will know. And instead of reshoot, they just went, eh, they won't fucking notice. And <laughs> put it in anyway. And most people didn't notice. <laughs> Yeah, you probably didn't notice until I told you just now. Yep. Or if you watched the uh, Netflix series. Oh, fuck. Movies That Made Us. That's it. Movies That Made Us. Yep. Uh, that has a good behind the scenes uh, episode on Die Hard. Solid show. Highly recommend that. 
yeah, I'll definitely have to check it out because I fucking love behind the scenes stuff like that. Yeah, I think they covered Goonies and stuff like that, and they had uh, season two recently. I had to rewatch the Goonies at one point, and I, I had spent way too long. I like that movie. <laughs> one of the few films shot in order. Oh, uh, yeah, I was going to say, that's right. Usually that's not the case just because, you know, if you're on a set and you have to go visit that location multiple times, then in case some people listening didn't know this, like, it's easier just to shoot all the scenes in that set than move to the next one, like, just for uh, logistics and stuff. Yeah, otherwise it would take a long time. That's why it took, like, I think it might have been a year or two to shoot all of Goonies. Uh, oh, cool. They do Home Alone, Ghostbusters, Die Hard. Yeah, Back to the Future. Oh, neato. Yeah. All right. I will definitely check that out. I think season two has a bit more horror <coughs> movies. I forget. Season three does. It looks like, because season uh, three was released in October of this year, it says. so. They did, right. Oh, I forgot there were three seasons. Yeah. Okay. So they did Halloween, Friday the 13th Nightmare, all that fun stuff. So. <laughs> in case you want a short version of the behind scenes of Nightmare on Elm Street, instead of the four hour documentary. Yeah, where they literally go, don't they literally go through like every single solitary movie? Like, Yep. And that's how they refound uh, the person who played Jesse in Nightmare 2. Yep. And uh, what was the documentary on that again? Uh, the one we watched specifically yeah. was uh, Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. Also highly recommended by us. <laughs> yeah, uh, we talked about that in our uh, Pride Month episode mm-hmm. with Birdcage. Yes. Because <laughs> we were going to cover that, but God, that documentary is intense and we didn't want to accidentally mistell it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back to Die Hard. <laughs> yes, back to Die Hard. Um... <laughs> Uh, anything really else on the first movie before we start comparing it to the second? Well, just some interesting behind-the-scenes stuff is that, like, um, Bruce Willis was mostly known for, um, you know, TV and stuff like that. Sitcoms. Sitcoms and television work and uh, stuff like that. I forget the show that he was famous for. But, um, yeah, I was reading on Wikipedia here. It says, The role of McLean was turned down by a host of the decade's most popular actors, including Schwarzenegger and Stallone. Um, known mainly for work on television, Willis was paid $5 million for his involvement, placing him among Hollywood's highest paid actors. The deal was seen as a poor investment by industry professionals and attracted significant controversy before its release. Um, hmm. and, but, and because of that, expectations for Die Hard were low. Some marketing efforts even omitted Willis's image, ostentatively because the ma- marketing team determined the setting was just as important upon McLean. And upon its uh, initial release in 88, um, it says, Defying Predictions, Die Hard grossed approximately $140 million, becoming the year's 10th highest grossing film and the highest grossing action film. Receiving four Damn. Nom- yeah, and receiving four Academy Award nominations, it elevated Willis to leading man status and made Rickman a celebrity. So they did not have much faith in the movie before it came out. Like, it says that 20th Century Fox were very eager for a summer blockbuster, but because of Willis's involvement and because of, like, how it went, like, they did not expect much from it, but then it ended up being one of, you know, it becoming one of the greatest action films of all time. <laughs> it was a Michael Keaton situation, basically. Yes, exactly. Like, when Michael Keaton with Batman yep weird yeah so and thankfully that happened and yes die hard is absolutely still worthy of its uh classic status unlike the sequel oh no oh no our sequel it's (laughs) It's broken broken. (laughs) where unfortunately as bb king would say the thrill is gone um (laughs) (laughs) oh die hard 2 We'll probably focus on you a lot more just because it rubbed us a little bit the wrong way. <laughs> and more of the reason of this episode. Because, again, 
you've probably seen Die Hard 1 by now. You have your own opinion on it, whatever it may be. And if you're very uncreative, you say it's your favorite Christmas movie. Anyway. Yawn. Um. <laughs> I, I don't actually care if you think it's your favorite Christmas movie. That's fine. Just Jesus joke needs to stop. It really does. Like, and I think the reason we're so bitter is because it was tossed around so much. Like, people thought it was so fucking clever. It was clever, like, four years ago. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But Now it's on the radio, even. Like, they bring it up every fucking year. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Die Hard 2. Die Harder. <laughs> die Harder, or, as a Letterbox review put, Die Hard 2, McLean on a Plane. <laughs> so much better. It is. So John is at the Washington, D.C. airport. Because he's waiting for his wife, they're visiting the in-laws, and uh, turns out there's this colonel, his name, Colonel Stewart. He goes and kills a man of the cloth before or taking over a church just outside the airport. Turns out some drug, uh, drug cartel leader, or maybe he, maybe he's a dictator. The movie doesn't really explain, or if it did, it was very quiet in the background. Dude, sold sold a bunch of cocaine is coming to America to face charges for uh, dealing drugs because this is still the war on drugs and wasting all of our money. Uh, anyway, villain is saying uh, up to take over the airport so that way they can get the cocaine dealer for some reason. Honestly, we don't know. It's weird. Like they're they, we just know that they want the um the terrorist guy but we they don't really explain why well and if they did it was so fast that we didn't notice no wait we'll get to it later i will continue through the fucking synopsis that right. <laughs> guy realizes something's a bit up sees two people go into the uh baggage area goes over there has a shootout tears the guy's face off like you do mm -hmm. <laughs> but the other gunman gets away as the cops show up and arrest john john's trying to explain yo shit's wrong Cops tell him to fuck off because that's how airport security used to work, kids. You would just kill someone and then the cops would tell you, eh. Just get him out of the airport. It's fine. No, not even out of the airport. Just get him out of the tower. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Just let him roam around the airport. Still with a gun. <laughs> Still with a gun, by the way. Uh, <laughs> never tip that uh, away from him. Yep. There's a lot of stuff that you can go back and see. Like, oh, that would never fucking happen nowadays. <laughs> Honestly. Uh... But John takes the fingerprints off the one corpse and sends it over to Cop Buddy from the first movie. Yeah, he, he comes back and he helps. <laughs> yeah, for a quick cameo. Finds out that the fingerprints are to a dead man. I mean, of course, John killed him. But no, the man's been dead apparently for two years. John gets pretty worried because usually if a military professional who's supposed to be dead isn't dead, that means shit is about to go down. Yep. So he heads back up into the airport tower is like, yo, here's the, this file. Shit's wrong. And then shit goes wrong. The radar is turned off and the runway lights are turned off. All the towers electronics are completely worthless. Terror, uh, Stork comes over the phone and is like, yo, here's the thing. We're going to have a plane land. We're going to take the person out of that plane and then fly away. Don't fuck with us. We don't have to. Nothing bad will happen. Just have all your planes go circle around a safety area. And once we're done, you can let them all land and we'll be gone. And then they decide to fuck with them. Uh, then they kick. Well, 
They kick John out so he's not involved, and then they immediately decide let's let's go fuck with the plan. Spoilers, it doesn't go well. Yeah. And like honestly, I know we'll talk about this more later, but if you had just gone along, everything probably would have been fine. <laughs> uh yeah, you still probably would have had one plane crash because it was basically out of fuel. Yeah. But yeah, you, you would have probably been fine. But yeah, they kick John out and they go with their plan to go use a different radar dish. They send the technician with a team of, of uh, SWAT members. John escapes into the Jander section of the airport instead of getting arrested by more airport police. Mm-hmm. They take the technician there, but it turns out the villain planned for that and had a bunch of goons dressed up as uh, painters. They shoot up the SWAT team. John comes in, kills all them. And the radio tower they were going to use anyway blows up. Terrace is like, yo, you fucked with the plan. We're going to crash a plane. And then they crash a plane with, mm-hmm. like, 200-something people on it. Oh, yeah. Uh, with this, the military gets involved. Military shows up and is like, yo, John, sit the fuck back. <laughs> uh, the drug dealer uh, kills the guards on his plane and accidentally kills the pilot and shoots out his windshield. Luckily, he lands the plane. Uh, also, John's wife is on a plane that is circling the area with the dickbag reporter from the first movie. A subplot which I think we both completely forgot about before watching this movie. <laughs> I Yeah. I, well, I've only seen this movie once, so that was a decade ago, probably. Yeah, yeah it was probably 13. Fuck, time was weird. <laughs> that it does. But yeah, military comes in and is like, like, we'll solve this. Spoilers, they don't solve it, John solves it. After a fight on the plane and one of the worst goddamn CG explosions, I well, not CG, green screen explosions I've seen in a while, the terrorists get the drug dealer dude, bring him back to the church, and they're like, everything should be okay. Spoilers, John finds the church. But he gets the military to come, and they're like, okay, let's attack the church. Shootout happens, they find C4, uh, main villains run away, John chases main villains on a snowmobile, there was explosives in the church. Don't worry, everyone gets out. John crashes on a snowmobile before he can catch up to the villains. And he's like, come on, I was using their MP5. I should have hit them. However, he realized something's wrong with the bullets. Cut back to Colonel Man, not evil Colonel, other good, apparent good guy Colonel. Yeah. Spoilers, he was involved all along and he slits some dude's throat for no real reason. Actually, technically, he was a major. <laughs> He's in major. I'm sorry. Okay, there, I can separate him that way. There you go. But the major uh, turns out to be a backstabber working with Colonel Stewart. Which also, why the hell does he kill that one guy? Did he not tell... Did he only tell everyone except the new guy what the plan that's was and what, what was I, going on? That's what I was wondering. I was like, was he just the one motherfucker that they didn't fill in? Like, it was everyone else in on it, but they decided, you know what? Fuck Jim or something. Like, yeah, fuck the new recruit. Just don't bring him along. You knew they were going to be shooting blanks at you anyway. Yep. <laughs> uh, that's what John found was wrong with the gun, that it was blanks. He go gets back to the airport, yells at the cops there. It's like, yo, shit's wrong. And they're like, John, shut the fuck up. And, that, and John shoots a whole MP5 at them with blanks that <laughs> would probably cause everyone in that room to go deaf. Yeah. But, yeah, no, he shows them yet, yet there. Oh, they're firing blanks, so they're in on it. <laughs> uh, John catches up with the plane that all the enemies are about to escape on, blows up the plane. Day is saved. We take a good ten minutes to land his wife's plane. Also, during all this, the dick reporter, um, well, he, 
one of his crew had a radio on the plane, so he found out what was going on through a secret message at the airport and reported on it to make everyone panic just so he could win a Pulitzer or whatever. Mm-hmm. He gets tased and almost has a heart attack. That's funny. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> we, we take about 10 minutes to land John's wife's plane. They hug, they leave, end of fucking movie. Yep. And I realized, too, after watching the movie, the taser was technically set up beforehand because it was the one passenger who was like, I have a taser. Yeah, it was set up beforehand. And even that, it might have been a bit uh, higher power because she's like, I did... I tasted the dog and it walked funny for three days. Yeah, so <laughs> that was great because, yeah, fuck that reporter, dude. He does a good job of playing an absolute piece of shit. Um, though, in my Ooh. eyes, he, the character gets really annoying really fast, so I'm glad they. I don't think they brought him back for the rest of the series. They don't, neither do they bring John's wife, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but Okay, uh, where the fuck to start? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I don't know because the thing is, like... Bruce Willis still does a good job. He's just not given much to work with. And the cinematography is still great. It looks good uh, for the most part. Um, when it's not a green screen. Yeah. But it's just, it's something about the tension and the pacing that it, it kind of loses a lot of it. Like, I, I it, there's scenes where I'm like, this should be suspenseful, but I'm bored throughout it. It's really weird. And I, I know we talked about this a bit after we watched the movie. Yes, we don't just wait for the podcast. We'll talk to each other. It happens. Exactly. <laughs> but I think the main reason is because in the first movie, John is always in danger with the hostages because they're all in the same building. Mm-hmm. In this one, the danger is, isn't is there. The terrorists are off in their own church. They're in the tower most of the time just talking about how the uh, innocent civilians could crash. Yeah. And that's the danger. It's these people we don't know which is probably why we keep cutting to the wife but even then it's no one's aware there until like the last 10 minutes of the movie so it doesn't matter you're right yeah that's exactly the thing is the passengers themselves are not aware they're in any danger they they keep talking about the danger but yeah it's it's, i think it loses its immediacy i think it loses you know you're not face to face with the terrorist and could be just picked off at any fucking time it's just it's very much you know we we have trapped everyone with technology or whatever and I think that's another issue is I think the movie tried to let, you know, open itself up after the first one, which was very much confined to the first movie. But I think by doing that, they shot themselves in the foot, really, because they tried to do more things like go in a plane and stuff. And a lot of it is just green screened. Like the action scenes when they happen are fine. Like I think the first half hour or so of the movie's fine, but then it just kind of slows the fuck down. It's weird. Yeah, it's a lot of just going back and forth being like, what will happen? This will happen if we don't do this. Can we do that? No, we can't. They'll spot us. But there is a way to do it. Oh, really? Yes, let's try that. The terrorists already thought of that, though. Yep. Oh, no. It's, yeah, very much back and forth. Like, oh, <laughs> dang it, I know. Dang it, they know. <laughs> yeah, it's not a fun tug of war. It's yeah. just like, can we do this? No, we cannot. Oh, okay. But there is also this, but now we can't do that because they already did that. So. Dang it. Dang it. Yeah, it, it is. You're right. It's just, yeah, I think tug, a, a boring tug of war would be the best way to describe it. <laughs> like, And again, it's just, I found myself bored in the last third of the movie. I'm like, you know, if this was just airing on television or something, I probably would have switched the channel by now. Oh, 100%. I would have switched the channel at the halfway point. Yeah, because it just becomes kind of tedious, frankly. <laughs> and 
and John just gets really bad lines near the end. Like, okay, um, he attacks the drug dealer on his plane once he lands, but then gets trapped inside and they're about to blow it up. So he ejects it. He uses the ejection seat to get himself out and lands with the parachute. And he's like covered up by it because, you know, kind of comedic. And he goes, where's the door? What? It's like, uh, what? Like, any other line than that. Like, you, you could have said something like, you know, who turned off the lights or something. Like, would have been better. Even that would have been pretty lame. Hell, but, actually, it was just funny to see him, like, kind of land with a thud yeah. and then the parachute cover. And he's, That's like, all you needed. To get out. Yeah, you didn't need that extra line. But it's like they somehow went with, like, the lamest one-liner towards the end. And it's like, oh, you, well, the writers weren't as good for two. No, in the first half of the movie, or first, like, the first part of the movie, there are some great one-liners. <laughs> I don't remember them. I don't remember most of this movie, honestly. Yeah, but, like, there was some good humor. There were some really good one-liners in the first part. It's like, what the fuck happened? And during the last half, it's like, we got some really lame fucking lines. I don't know what it was. I did read a behind-the-scenes thing of that since people found the ad-libbed lines from Bruce Willis funny in the first movie, they let him go as, as free as he wanted. Uh... And I think... He just couldn't think of anything, so it came out really lame. That's probably what happened, yeah. <laughs> Which, guys, if your ad-libbing isn't funny, just stay silent. It's yeah. okay. We don't need a joke. Exactly. I was going to say, that's the thing about improv, is that you know not only when to make a joke, but when not to make a joke. So, <laughs> Yeah, just something about the tension is not there. And the twists come so lazily. <laughs> they really do, honestly. Also, the villain's just not strong at all. It's not. It's just generic military colonel. Like, that's it. It's like, you know, we had Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber in the first film, and he was great. I, I think he was or talking to me afterwards. He said something about, like, why he works better. It It's because he... Like, the same way John works, where John isn't, like, this super badass. He gets hurt. Alan Rickman's uh, Hans isn't like this all in, all thinking genius things are going wrong and he's panicking exactly <laughs> honestly i think they really could have cut out the drug dealer thing mm -hmm. and just made it about money and it would have been better yeah honestly because we do spend a lot of time with uh franco nero by the way as the colonel the original django in case you didn't know um, but yeah, they spend a lot of time with that and that plot point and he comes down and they greet him like, Hey there, how's it going and everything. And we're going to totally ship you out of here and stuff. Yeah. If you would have just made it about like making money, like in the first movie, it, you're right. Would have worked better. <laughs> Much Fuck, here. Hold on. I, I'm, I know this was based off a book and I don't know whatever the plot was, but here, make your own fucking movie. There is a shipment that needs to go to the National Treasury. It has been sent to the airport. Terrorists take it over to try and steal it. Yeah. Movie. Yeah, it's the same fucking movie, but you weren't afraid of doing that anyway. So let's just have them in the airport. Exactly. And actually, you can kind of blame the screenwriters because it says one of the writers of the screenplay, Stephen E. Dis I don't know how to pronounce his last name, later admitted in an interview um, for the book Action Speaks Louder, Violent Spectacle in the American Action Movie, that the villains were based on America's Central American meddling, particularly the Iran-Contra affair in the 80s. So they cool. tried to work in this like whole Central American dictator type thing, but it didn't really work. 
it was hardly even talked about. Like, yes, yeah. we knew he was from Latin America, but that and was the war on drugs or whatever. But that's it. Yeah, like it, it does render it kind of pointless because it's like if you're going to talk about that, talk about that. Don't just have it. Oh yes, this is a thing now, and that's it. Yeah, we don't even really get a reason on why Colonel Stewart is involved or why the major is either. Yeah. It's just, we need to free him. Why? Because. We'll make money somehow. Yeah. Even though we could have made a shit ton of money with this latest heist. Like, it was really well planned out. We had the electronics and everything. Like. (laughs) Yeah, it would have been. There's a cooler movie here, and they didn't do it. They, They somehow went with not that. So it's really unfortunate that this happened. And I actually forget when Die Hard with a Vengeance came out. I'm going to look that up. But I am glad they Uh, eventually came up with that because this is a really lame sequel. (laughs) Yeah. um, I'll also say this is just a nitpicky thing. They have a very stupid conversation about a quote unquote Glock 7. (laughs) That was fun to look up. (laughs) John says the terrorists were using a after the luggage shootout that they were using Glock 7s, a gun made of porcelain to get past uh, metal detectors in an airport. One, if you made a gun out of porcelain, it would fucking shatter. Two, that's not how... Even if you somehow made every part of a gun non-metal, there's still bullets in it. Yeah, because you, the whole thing is, oh, well, it go, it's a gun that's invisible to, like, airport security cameras, and that's literally a load of bullshit. Well, uh, metal detectors, or, not cameras. Or, yeah, it won't set off a metal detector. That was the whole thing. Is like, it's invisible to that, but it's really not. Like, the Glock 7 was literally a gun made up for the movie. And they even had an armorer on set who told them this was wrong and they just went with it anyway. Yep. They were like, well, it's already in the script. So, and they refused to budge. So. And yes, some Glocks were made of unconventional materials, but there was still metal in them. Yeah. But here's the thing too. It's like, it's not only the bullets. It's also the cartridges, the barrel, the slide, the trigger mechanism, the magazine. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's still a lot of metal in it. Yeah. And the spring. Like, come on. <laughs> I would I would actually pay good money to see, like, a Mythbusters-style episode yeah. on if you can make a pistol that would beat the metal detector. Mm-hmm. That would be kind of interesting. And it is able to fire a whole magazine. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I would like to see a Mythbusters episode just where they dispel the myth. Like, let's make a gun out of porcelain and show how this would just fucking shatter, basically. <laughs> That would be a fucking Looney Tunes stunt of it just exploding. Yeah. Because that's the thing. That's the thing that... Anyway, what year did it come out? Uh, what? Die Hard with a Vengeance? Oh, Die Hard with a Vengeance was 1995. Five years. Okay. Yep. So they waited five years, and thankfully they did, because it's one of the best movies of the franchise. (laughs) My personal favorite, at least as of now. Yeah. I haven't rewatched it in a while, I will admit. So we'll see. Yep. So I'm really excited to read that because I also love that movie. So <laughs> maybe the fifth one will be my favorite. <laughs> um, <laughs> how did you say that without internally bleeding? Because <laughs> uh, I haven't seen it. Also true. 
And just so you know, audience, I've, I only saw like the first half hour or so of it, and then I just turned it off because I thought it was so fucking bad. <laughs> but we'll cover it at some point. At some point. Um, when, when, we shall see. Speaking of movies, we are going to cover, if you don't have anything to else to say about this film, really. <laughs> I mean, there's still more about this movie. Is there? Oh, go on. Please go on. Because uh, there's so much fucking... It... <sighs> Uh, you probably, if you've heard anything about this film, you probably hear that it's a remake of the first film, basically. And that's also what sucks the fun out of the the latter half of the film. Mm-hmm. Just once you realize, like, oh, the mer- the military guys that show up, they're just the FBI from the first movie. They don't actually know what's going on and are going to make things worse. Yep. Oh, see, here's the scene where John is at his lowest moment, but is going to be able to fight back in some way. It, it really is literally just hitting the exact same beats as the first movie, and it, it shows, really. Here's where the reporter does yep. the news report that fucks over the main heroes yep, in some way. because we got to do that again. Just once you realize that, it sucks so much of the fun out of the movie. Mm. And while the shots outside are cool, um... Having that open of an area, you know, of an airstrip, is really boring for an action movie. Yeah. Because, like, there's a lot of shots where, like, they're chasing a plane. Like, the scene where John McClane is in a helicopter. And they're just like, oh, no, go chase it, go chase it. It's, it's just very much the characters are, themselves aren't really doing anything. They're just in a vehicle trying to get to where we can save them or whatever. Like, it, yeah, it's just... It's- the first movie works so well because we're in this confined space and we know the layout and it feels everyone feels close in a way that's uncomfortable i guess it feels like they wanted to open it up more for the sequel but still kind of confine themselves in a way to trying to like be in the same fucking area and yeah i think you're right like you said it's just an airport's just too big you can't really get your bearings straight as well and because of that you're like wait oh we're here we're here now where are we wait a minute what Actually, I read while reading the behind the scenes that uh, the scene where he comes out of the grate to uh, and the airplane almost hits him. Yeah, that was six different locations for that scene. Was it fucking really? Yeah, there uh, the underground part that was off in <laughs> L.A. There was a part in Denver. There was a part in New York. It was there were six different locations for that one sequence. <laughs> oh, my God. Jesus Christ. Which I will give uh, Bruce Willis massive credit for making that scene flow together fine oh, with his yeah. acting. Oh, yeah, honestly, because you couldn't even tell. Like, you could tell, obviously, Underground was a set in that part, too. But, yeah, Jesus Christ, I did not know that. That's fascinating. Huh. Actually, uh, I think it was a war treatment plant, which they use in Live Free and Die Hard later. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I actually think I know the scene they're talking about. Cool, cool. <laughs> so that's neat. That is neat. Um, Oh, so we haven't talked about the explosion. <laughs> okay, so the special effects for the most part um, hold up still. There's one shot of like a plane landing that we could tell like, oh yeah, that was not actually there. But by far the worst effect in the movie is when Bruce Willis is in the plane, like just mentioned earlier when he uses the ejector seat to pull out. And so I start lobbing grenades into the cockpit 
and there's like five or six grenades, I'm pretty sure. But thankfully, there are those, you know, 30 second timed grenades that gives him time to actually get up, get in a seat, get out of there. You know, they don't actually go off immediately like real grenades would. Um, yeah, the grenades are in there for a <laughs> solid minute. It's a long ass time. They would have gone off like 20 seconds ago. But no, we have to have the thing where he gets in the ejector seat and... Dear God, when he gets the ejector seat and the explosion goes off and then he comes towards the camera. Oh my fucking God, it looks terrible. <laughs> yeah, dude. It just, it was so obviously green screened yeah. and they just should have cut the shot. They really should have. Like, I know we need to establish he escaped, but a much better way to cut the scene would have been show the big explosion, but then cut to the one air, like shot from the ground that they had, where they showed the ejector seat with the parachute coming up. There you go. Um, hey, you want another thing that, oh, wait, let me double check on this. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know how the, the, uh, drug dealer was being transported on a cargo plane? Mm-hmm. You know what doesn't have an ejection seat? Really? Cargo planes don't have an ejection seat? Apparently not. Interesting. Huh. And again, I don't know the exact plane used in that movie, yeah. so maybe that version does. Who knows? But either either way, we need it for plot convenience. Even The, the point still stands, even though a cargo plane realistically would not have an ejector seat. <laughs> yeah, that's just funny to me. That is actually kind of funny, <laughs> but... Yeah, dear lord, is that effect, effect hilariously bad. Like, my god. <laughs> it looks so awful. And um, on my Blu-ray copy, which broke uh, during the last 20 minutes of the movie, and we needed, I needed to switch to a very old DVD copy. Uh, but for the scene selection, every time you move pages, it plays a, the scene for like <laughs> half a second. It's the funniest fucking thing. <laughs> I'm not sure who thought that was a good idea. Just every time you, you switch, just. <laughs> it looked so bad. It really did. Like, there's no getting around it. That was a really bad fucking effect, guys. And you should have cut it. Like, even for the 90s, that was bad. Honestly, yeah. Even by early 90s standards, it was looked terrible. And yeah, no, fuck that. Uh, <laughs> Either way, it proved one of the most memorable moments of the movie because, dear God, the movie itself wasn't memorable. Uh <laughs> yeah, this was one of those films where once it wrapped, I was like, yep, that's gone. Yeah. <laughs> just, oof. It was, at the end of it, I think I just said something like, yeah, that was just as underwhelming as I remember it being. <laughs> I actually was really hoping past me was wrong. I was like, I don't remember liking this movie too much, but maybe, you know, that was just past me. I was... I was like maybe 13 when I watched it. And then after rewatching, I was like, no, that, that was worse than I remember. Yeah. It, it was one of those films where it was worse than Justin remembered. And it was just as lame as I remember. Cause I watched it way more recently than you did. Um, even though it has been a few years, it, it hasn't been, you know, a decade. So, <laughs> and I, watched, and I, I uh, would say like, Oh, maybe the movie needs more fight scenes, but then mm -hmm. rewatching die hard one. There's not that many shootouts. There's good. There's a good amount of time between each one. Yeah. Same with this movie. But for some reason, it just feels so long in this movie. It really does, honestly. <laughs> also, John's just too invincible. Yeah. In this one. Absolutely, 100%. 
He gets shot like once, and that that's it. He's fine. Yeah, <clears throat> there was a reviewer I read on Wikipedia that did comment on this. Um, <clears throat> it says, as played by Bruce Willis, McLean is still an engaging character, even if he is much le- less amusingly drawn this time. Willis in Willis is trying, but the qualities that help make his character sympathetic—I'm getting all tongue-tied—but the qualities that helped make his character sympathetic in the first film are missing. McLean no longer worries openly about his personal safety as he did in the original movie. His quasi-cowboy personality from Die Hard is all but forgotten. He has become more of a Rambo and less of a Rory Rogers. And though the filmmakers try to establish McLean as resistant to advanced technology, this idea isn't developed. Is that what that was supposed to be? What? Like him not knowing how to use a fax machine that was supposed to show resistance to all this new technology? Yes, it was. And I I, I totally got that from the movie because they make it a fucking point in this movie to point out, wow, technology, isn't it amazing? Like they say this in the first half of the movie a lot. And even like when he's talking on the phone to his wife, he's like, yeah, welcome to the 90s or whatever. And that just, to me, that just hilariously dated the movie even fucking further. (laughs) I honestly thought it was just doing that because they thought it was cool. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't know it was supposed to be like, oh, John is being an old man and doesn't like the modern technology. Something like that, because in the first movie as well, when he's going through like the list or something, he's like, yeah, computers, something about computers or something. So... (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was just a joke that yeah. the computer ran like shit. <laughs> Possibly. Well, it, it, at the time it ran fine. You know, it, by nowadays standards, it would run like shit. But <laughs> yeah, it's a Windows. Exactly. Uh. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I guess that's what it was supposed to be. But yeah, that that was another hilarious thing to me because when he's talking to his wife on the phone, he's like, yeah, airplane phones isn't technology great. <laughs> and John has a pager, which... <laughs> fucks him over in one scene a fucking pager which is literally like obsolete nowadays <laughs> oh god that was still all that was another thing that was unintentionally hilarious to me <laughs> oh I, i'll give i'll have a little positive note i'm happy john is still with his wife they didn't do the 80s 90s cliche mm-hmm. of breaking them up between movies yeah I forget if they do that with Die Hard with a Vengeance. I forget because I think I thought I remembered a line saying like, oh, yeah, they divorced her at the beginning. But I don't know. Maybe we'll see when we get to it. Yes, we will. Which knowing our luck with the wheel will be probably five years. Uh... (laughs) Yep. Yeah. I don't know. Is there anything else you can think of about this movie? Not that I can think of. It's just it's very lame. (laughs) So it's not it's not a good sequel. And I'm glad the other at least the two sequels after this were great to good. So, except for good. Yeah. Day, but, you know, we don't talk about the fifth movie. Three uh, out of five ain't bad. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. So, um. <laughs> so that means it's usually time we do a thing. Yeah, and I love the thing. It's been a while since we've done the thing. <laughs> it has been. We, we finished recording December episodes like... I think it was last week we did. Mm-hmm. Gun Driver? Uh, yeah, we record. Gun Driver was the last thing we recorded for December. So we haven't gotten a spin wheel in quite some time. Yep. But now we can. Yay. And if you are new here, 
This is the sellout wheel. The sellout wheel is a bunch of series that you probably know and you can share episodes with your friends because then they'll know those movies and want it and not be worried about listening to them for spoilers. Mm-hmm. That's literally the reason. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, we have 18 series left with Lone Wolf and Cub, Ocean's, the Ocean series, Lupin the Third, only the theatrical releases except for one. Man with No Name, James Bond, Man with No Name Trilogy, James Bond, Mad Max, which we have one left on, Nightmare on Elm Street, Mission Impossible, Evil Dead, uh, Die Hard. I, my brain completely fucking broke there. Nice. Scream, Alien, Predator, Men in Black, and Back to the Future. I'm pretty sure Scream, Alien, Predator, Men. Oh no, we have done Predator. Yes, we did the first. We part. have not. We have not even touched Men in Black, Alien, Scream. I think that's it. That's the last ones we. Oh, and Back to the Future. Those are the ones we have not touched yet. All right. Even though statistically we should have already. But hey, that that's one of the downsides to having a digital wheel instead of a physical wheel. Is up to the algorithm and not how it physically spins. Well, even physically, statistically speaking, it could yeah. still miss this often. Yes, exactly. Well, that's well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if we had a physical one, it would spin way more accurately than the algorithm. So, random chance is not very accurate; it just happens. Yeah. Uh. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's time to <gasps> spin. spin. Okay. What? Well, we have a rule. A rule we set up with this. Where we wouldn't cover a series more than twice per time we cover it. Because next time we spin, we're going to be back on the director's wheel. Because we go four by four, in case you're new. We landed on Lone Wolf and Cub again. Of course we did. (laughs) Now comes the question. First off, the audience has not had to deal with our stupid shenanigans for a month. Mm -hmm. So it has been quite some time since we talked about Lone Wolf and Cub. Two, we will finish the series. It will be off the wheel. This will be the last Lone Wolf and Cub because there's only six of them. Mm -hmm. And we covered four and five back in December. So, do we stick to our rule and I spin again or do we finish Lone Wolf and Cub? I say we just finish Lone Wolf and Cub at this point. All right. Just get so, that off the wheel because for some reason the th- wheel really, really, really wants us to do Lone Wolf and Cub. So. Stop hitting the fucking table. Oh, sorry. Was that audible? Yes, it was. My bad. <laughs> Very audible. My bad. I apologize. Okay. Also, so I haven't we, done that in a while. <laughs> we haven't. <laughs> I've kept you far away from the table for good reason. Yes. But yes, next time after... Uh, Fringe Season 4 Part 1, which we haven't recorded yet, but after Fringe Season 4 Part 1, you will get Lone Wolf and Cub, the final chapter, Part 6, whatever the fuck the subtitle is. White Heaven and Hell. The final chapter. (laughs) Why you gotta make it a white thing? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cinema Roulette. If you want to interact with the show more, you can follow us on Twitter, at Roulette Cinema. If you wish to follow our hosts, Justin is at JK Pancake on Twitter, and Cameron is at Cameron Picks Inc. 
on Twitter. If you wish to watch a video version of the podcast, it can be found on the YouTube channel CamCam. Thanks again to Teller's Place for making the base art for all of our thumbnails. And if you enjoyed the show, please remember to subscribe or rate on whatever podcast app you use. Thank you.